Dear Mr. Hammett. Dear Miss Smith. Dear Mr. Goldberg, thank you for your thank recent you for application, your application to the role of assistant producer. We're currently reviewing all applications and we'll get, get back, back to you as soon, soon as we can. You can browse other vacancies at blah, 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 Due to the high volume of applications, we're writing to inform you that unfortunately we won't be taking your application any further. Hello everybody and welcome to Jobs Board. Merry Christmas, I suppose, although it may not feel like it. We are back for one more edition this year of our Jobs Hunting podcast. As the pandemic worsens, I guess, uh, it looks like. But anyway, I'm Ollie Hammett. With me is George Goldberg. Hi. And Bryony Smith. Hello. Sorry guys, I didn't I sort of started on a bit of a bleak tone there. I didn't mean to. Yes, it did go very bleak very quickly. But um, yes, what you said was was not untrue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I guess I should remind the listeners that it's no time for tears. So that was a bad joke. Yeah, it was a bad joke, wasn't it? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> As we come to the end of the year, uh, well, it's been a pretty incredible year in the world of journalism job hunting i think definitely for the three of us and probably for a lot of our listeners too so coming up later on the show we are going to have a guest on and we're going to be sort of reflecting back on where we began the year looking for journalism jobs and where we've ended up and what we've learned along the way beforehand how have you two been I am still very much looking for work however in I think jobs board full circleness in the very first episode, not sure if, if listeners remember, but I had a very funny uh, recommendation about uh, applying for a job at a certain TV station. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Possibly my favourite story of the entire year. I think this is our, this is our job of the year, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have no idea what i'm on about stop this podcast and go and listen to the very first one yeah what are you doing here go back to the beginning yeah <laughs> and then come back um and so in, in a slightly full circle jobs board way i had two jobs recommendations came through uh, recently because i've got alerts on like if a job comes up if it's like for production assistant or producer that kind of stuff um one came up for a bakery production assistant, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> they kind of missed that. I have I have been practicing, not going to lie, over the lo- the re- most recent uh, lockdown, uh, making bread, and I'm really going to your banana bread. Yes, exactly. Watching the bake off, <laughs> and uh, I am trying to make uh, a starter to make some sourdough. So oh, we're... nice! Yeah, a little. Where? Well, well, is this for Christmas? Is this an insight into your Christmas day, yes. George? Yeah. Sourdough. So um, next Jobs Ball podcast in the new year, I'll update you whether it's a success or a, a massive flop. Update us on what you ate. It could be a little, um, a little sort of alternate career for George. Yeah. Probably. And then um, the, the, the hilarious other job suggestion that I came through for producer was an internal sales assistant for a wood producing company. And I was like, what, why, why is this coming up? And it's because... The word producer is in the description 
Oh, I see. See, I was trying to think, well, why have you got wood on your CV? You're yeah. Because just... <laughs> it comes up, uh, like, in the description, it's like, we are a leading producer of MDF mouldings. And I was like, oh, this is why it's come up. But That'll not at why, all, yeah. I think, media related. Because I wasn't quite sure whether it was related to do with my student newspaper, because that was called Concrete. Oh, of course. So I didn't yeah. know whether it was like, that's a builder. Like, let's... Yeah, didn't you get suggested a bricklaying role once? I, I once got suggested, I think I said this in the first uh, episode, I got suggested an electrician role <laughs> because they had picked up um, the word spark, which was in my CV at the time. And uh, yeah, spark and electrician, it put them two together. Oh, so you were sort of saying like, bright spark emerging into the world of journalism or something. I don't think I actually said that, but <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How else could you use the word spark about yourself? I, I think it was the name of something that uh, okay. we had done or written. I mean, it's not on my CV now. It was. <laughs> sure, yeah. I think those kind of um, job recommendation algorithms, I it's weird. The whole time I've just sort of tried to steer clear of them because... I'm I've got to, I'm not fantastic at checking my emails with amazing regularity anyway much less sort of as you've just said combing through all these really strange jobs that apparently have nothing to do with me Talking of job titles, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a tweet on Twitter which was about sort of bonkers journalism job titles. And these were some of the ones that people had sort of discussed. So there was one role which was a video games editor. Oh, I did see that, yeah. Yeah, and... I, I've got to be honest, but I didn't actually think that sounded that crazy. No, but I guess people, they're thinking, you know, they're associating it with video games, which it... Or, you know, it won't purely be sort of video games, if that makes sense. There's one as well, which was reality check correspondent, which obviously reality check is obviously the fact checking part of the BBC, which we're all aware of. But I guess if you, you weren't aware of it and you sort of saw reality check correspondent, you're probably like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all harking back to a time, like these are probably journalists who, like 10, 15 years ago, like these type of fields weren't really developed and and like so I, I, and i'm sure there's many journalists critiquing that like isn't fact checking like what all journalists should do so it's, <laughs> but, but as as we as we fully are aware that misinformation is now a lot more yeah the rise of fake news yeah absolutely yeah and also social media manager that was like 100 percent not a thing oh no absolutely five not. years ago even 10 years ago yeah i'd say i'd say in 2010 social media managers didn't exist yeah exactly yeah do you think there's um possible scope for a film have you guys seen bill and ted's excellent adventure or like those kind of films no. like back to the future what's that oh back to the future yeah yeah, yeah. So i was wondering if there might be scope for a video <laughs> a social media journalist who gets transported back in time to an age without social media and how he deals with it Maybe you should be pitching this to like Spielberg right now. Yeah, I heard. Uh, I heard Tom Cruise. Is, Instead of Tom Cruise is yeah. really in the uh, movie making thing at the moment, so <laughs> give him a bell. I have got an announcement at the end of the year. I've been that guy, and I've gone and got myself a job. <laughs> yeah, apologies, guys, but I am quite pleased um i'll be we're very pleased for you too thanks guys that's really nice um and yeah i'll be starting at the beginning of january as a reporter for a company that do kind of entertainment news but for within the industry 
So anytime there's a sort of swap over of people's uh, jobs or, you know, a channel gets a new head or a new show gets commissioned, um, I'll be there with my pen and paper to write everything down and report on. So is it broadcasting? Is it more sort of written digital form? It's it's quite... I've done a trial day with them already. That was kind of my interview, which was interesting. And it was a lot of digital, but they have a lot of different media that they do. So they do a podcast. They have their own sort of online TV channel. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I think... And they have a really international focus as well, which is what really swayed me uh, to apply for the job in the first place, I guess. Um, yeah, they look at a lot of different countries and... I'll be working at home until kind of at least April, mm-hmm. I think. But um, they're not getting people back in the office in the new year, then. No, no, they're not planning to. Um, which I think it'll be a, it might be a bit strange, really. Uh, sort of yeah. meeting, meeting everybody <laughs> on Teams. Um, but I think you know you just got to make the best of it. Yeah, hundred percent. It sounds like a great opportunity that you're going to get involved in a lot of stuff. How did you find the? interview process in terms of doing a trial day then so actually Brian, that was a really good question it was um i i had an interview with them beforehand that maybe lasted about 15 minutes that's short oh uh, it was so brief. Short. yeah yeah um but what do they ask you just you know what have you been up to what you're looking for like sort of standard yeah they asked sort of you know questions. those standard sort of tell us about you sort of questions and then gave me a bit of info about the company but it was actually, I thought the trial day was much more useful for both parties than an interview could ever have been, really. Because I think um, what it taught me was that I'd been putting so much effort into, you know, cover letters and making sure everything was perfect and my CV and adapting that to different jobs. Um, and, you know, you sometimes get in your own head when you're applying for a job and you think, uh, oh, am I even using the right word here? Could I this could all you know me getting the job could all swing on my choice of um or like whether to put an oxford comma in or what put in yeah yeah, exactly but what that reminded me of was actually what they want to know is can you do the job yeah you know can you be a journalist is the ultimate thing um and actually that's something that i'd almost forgotten about in the months and months of job hunting unsuccessfully you know you can get down a bit and not talk yourself out of it but you can sort of forget the skills that you have if that makes sense Mm. it just sort of blurs into one sometimes doesn't it if you're sending off quite a few job applications so well that's great and and you've got a real feel for the company and they've obviously got a feel for you and how you worked and it obviously sounds like a great match so it's very exciting yeah yeah i hope it will be i'm very excited um but obviously i will still be wanting to do jobs board because i will not rest until the whole nation is employed <laughs> oh dear. it made me laugh from last week's episode when um when, we, when you were like santa's coming and he's got jobs for everyone <laughs> <laughs> oh, it cracks me up oh man yeah so i think um what i getting this job has made me think sort of reflect on i guess it was sort of june july that the three of us finished our masters together and and from then we kind of you know were having to look for journalism jobs unsuccessfully and i think it's just amazing what's changed 
uh, in those few months and what we've learned and how we've had to adapt to both the application process and also to, to working. I, mean, I've, I think actually if I hadn't had to be, you know, sort of doing stuff for myself and mainly confined to my house, um, I think it's taught me a lot of self-reliance, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. I don't know about you guys. It's all about making your own luck and mm. what it is very much learning that what you put in is what you get out especially in like no one's gonna come out the blue and hand you a job it's all about working for it or in this case improving our skills making this podcast and hmm. everything through it so I, that's what I've learned through it on you definitely need that grit and determination to keep keep going forwards yeah I think so and also you mentioned podcast there you know doing podcasts and making your own your own things has been is a real confidence boost more than anything like you say george it sort of reminds you that you can do it and while you may not have all the equipment in front of you to do it you know it doesn't mean that you can't give it a go Hmm. okay i think to talk about this more let's bring on our guest for this week we're going to be having a look at his cv later but first let's find out how his job hunting year has gone. Are you there, Kim Katari? Hello, good afternoon. Hey, Kim. How are, how are we all? Yeah, good. Yeah, day. we're very well. Very well. We're here. good. JBHQ, all good. Quality, good news, good news for you, <laughs> Oliver. Yep, you did. You heard right. Thanks very much. Um, tell us, Kim, what's your current job situation? I am currently freelancing at TalkSport as kind of a phone op slash assistant producer. And I've been getting a lot of shifts recently. So I've been very, very, very lucky in that regard. Mm. Well, lucky. have you been lucky or is it a result of your initiative and hard work? Well, it was a weird one because I wasn't getting anything and I was applying for jobs and I was reading the description of the job and I was looking at my CV and cover letter and I'm sure we've all done this, but I was thinking, there is no way that I don't get this job. I was it, and I was <laughs> yeah. thinking, honestly, there is absolutely no chance I'm not getting this. And obviously, I didn't get any of them. <laughs> and I honestly must have got ghosted about 100 times. And then I was really lucky just to be invited in to Shadow. Really enjoyed it. Asked if I could come in again. Asked if I could come in again. And then I think maybe like three or four more times. And then just got asked to come in for a paid shift. And it's kind of snowballed from there, really. Great. Oh, so before that, you were just doing work experience? Yeah, I was just doing work experience. Kind of. Like, and how, how many shifts before you ended up getting a paid shift? I reckon probably five or six. Wow, okay. So quite, yeah, so quite a few. And I was just learning the ropes. And I still am, to be fair. But yeah, it's been good. Mm. And it's been quite an unconventional way of getting a job. You know, I never thought that it would kind of just be going in for a lucky day of work experience meeting people getting on and just kind of going through that way I always thought it'd be like the formal interview process the kind of cover letter CV but it wasn't in this way okay so you've you basically just went in for a couple of times for work experience and got chatting to people and it went from there yeah exactly and I think I just really enjoyed myself and everyone was so like open and nice to me that it kind of made me feel I felt quite comfortable. You know, the the initial nerves of like an interview, which is kind of where a lot of people fall down. I didn't really have because I wasn't expecting anything. I just kind of went and just spoke as if I was kind of speaking to my mates. And I suppose they see the best of you as well, because if you're a bit more relaxed, like you're being your true self rather than 
being a, a almost a a persona that you're trying to front on to like impress them, aren't you? One hundred percent. I kind of I was kind of relating it the other day. So obviously we all did the broadcast journalism course, and any time we would go on radio or we would go on TV to like present, all of our voices would change slightly whether we tried to do it or not. We'd all kind of try and fit in with what people thought that we wanted to hear. And that's what we do in interviews as well. And I feel like people can people can tell. And for me especially, like I get quite nervous during interviews. So I'll always kind of I'll think too much about the answer and I'll think about what can make me sound the best rather than make me sound like myself. Which mm. is why this opportunity was perfect. Because like you say, George, I was just speaking to them as if they were my friends. And in that way, I could kind of get across who I was as a person more and what I'd done rather than kind of like a formulaic kind of scripted answer, I suppose. Well, you must have impressed them, though. Massive congratulations. It's very exciting. It is very, very exciting. I can't lie. I I am loving it. It, But it didn't, you know, it didn't come without the months of severe anxiety and panic about the job (laughs) market. So when, when did you sort of start working at Talk? I think my first paid shift was a couple of days before October, so right at the end of September. Right, right, okay. And I think I first went in the week after we finished our Masters, so June. That was so long ago now. Oh, my God, yeah. no. How much yeah. has everything changed since then? Yeah, and it changes so regularly as well. <laughs> so regularly. I've got no gris- and I've got no grasp on reality anymore. No. Well, I kept joking that I was in September denial, and um, we're now <laughs> we're now the week after us, and I'm still in September denial. It's absolutely ridiculous. We're three months away from the first lockdown. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was last Thursday. Yeah. It was. It was a week ago today. It, it was. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. I always remember when we went back to uni after the Christmas holidays and we were doing our news days, our radio and TV news days every week. And um, we were getting closer and closer to our assessment day where, you know, we wanted to really impress, get really good stories, local stories, local angles. And this is when coronavirus had just started to kick off. Um, You know, there was all the stuff that was going on in Italy. There was slow indications that things were happening in the UK and I don't know if you remember that we as a group collectively discovered that coronavirus was in a GP surgery in Islington oh yeah yeah. and we what a moment (laughs) and we were we were basically like oh god we actually got we're actually doing real news here we made actual journalism and we were like telling other news organizations that we'd found this and that was like one of the first instances where and there were mask shortages and someone else did a a report about how tattoo parlors couldn't get masks so they couldn't do tattoos and stuff like that and that's just sounds just seems so alien it's just that we were actually doing a journalism degree at that time and we just didn't know what was coming when you yeah. about when you say about the assess news day i remember i was doing the website and at the beginning of the day we were having a discussion on whether the coronavirus was a big enough story to do a live blog on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so this, was, this was the 22nd of February, and we thought, okay, yeah, it is. And I remember just searching all day the live things, and one of them was, I think, the first one was like a school closed in Harrow, and then one of them was like four people now died in Italy. And I remember thinking, oh, this is really bad. 
But the acceleration from that to three weeks later, March the 14th, when we were all in lockdown. Yeah. Mm. I can't believe how quickly it all happened. I know. It was unbelievable. Especially, like you say, because we were monitoring it for Assess News Days and, like, getting stories. And there were, there were small, you know, things going on, like a school shut. Oh, we'll go, you know, we'll report on that. A GP surgery, oh, we'll report on that. And then three weeks later, boom, it just exploded. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was a time in from kind of March to there was about a month when we just had no idea what was going on with our course. While, you know, coronavirus doesn't seem to have gone away and doesn't really look like it is going to go away anytime soon. At least um, our sort of job prospects have got more positive. Yeah, I would say. of the four of us sat here. Um, well, sorry, George, I don't mean to be mean. But... <laughs> three of us have um have sort of got at least some form of of like paid journalism work now um looking ahead kim do you know how the new restrictions may or may not change how you work i think for me i'm gonna have to still come in every day because it's uh, radio is just categorized as key work so not much is going to change for me i think actually if anything Although my life is obviously dramatically worse under tier four and lockdown, just like everyone else's, I think I will have a lot more opportunities because a lot of people who work at TalkSport in kind of similar positions or slightly higher positions come from outside of London. So as it becomes harder for them to get in, I think I might benefit on sort of being oh. added a few extra shifts. So obviously that is, a, I mean, I would not swap it for not being in tier four, but it is quite a nice yeah, it's a little positive. silver lining. Yeah, Bryony, does this sort of something similar happen with you? Do you think, or um, I'm probably the opposite because I'm traveling in. It makes it more difficult for me because I am having to rely on you, you know driving in or getting the train. Or obviously, I can't stay with anyone at the moment. So if I am doing an unsociable shift, having to book a hotel, and then it's whether it's financially viable because I'll be paying money to sleep somewhere to work if that makes sense so yeah I'm probably the opposite side where I, it doesn't benefit me it makes it more difficult uh, yeah, yeah. to work you're there shaking your fist as Kim looks from the other side of the studio <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it's just I watch this space sort of scenario and see what happens in the new year I mean as you said Ollie we're very, all of us are very fortunate and even that you know George is still looking for something a bit more full-time he still had um sort of paid opportunities sort of editing podcasts yeah. editing videos and stuff like that and that's great that the industry that we work in we're able to keep working and actually it's been very busy <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of news even though yeah. coronavirus is obviously the overarching theme of everything um there's still a lot going on so hopefully yeah moving forward yeah. the next sort of three to six months it will only get better i hope so kim how are you finding freelancing because we've we spoke to a couple of freelancers a few weeks ago now and they said they talked to, to us about all the different benefits of it versus having a contract i was what's the ultimate aim for you would you like to keep freelancing for a while I think the main difficulty is so like for example last month I only took 4 days off and I think that I think the problem is you kind of convince yourself that like oh but it'll be fine because I'm freelance I'll be able to you know if it if I become tired I'll just be able to take some shifts off 
but you never do. And especially when you're at this stage of the, when you're at this stage of your career and you kind of just have to impress, you kind of think, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll do these eight days in a row and then I'll take two days off. And then on your second day off, they might text you saying, oh, do you mind coming in? And you can't really say no. Yeah. So like there is, there's, there's a lot of scope to impress with freelancing because I've had lots of texts from management and stuff already saying like, oh, thanks so much for doing so many shifts. And they've, they've kind of rewarded me with kind of better shifts, so like AP shifts and stuff like that. So it is better, but of course, sleeping pattern wise, I mean, I don't, mm. I don't even remember what a sleeping pattern is. So yeah, it is. It, it, I mean, like you say, it has its, it has its positives and, and benefits. I am really enjoying it at the moment and it does suit my life a lot at the moment because like you said, there is nothing to do. Like we can't go out, we can't see our friends, we can't do anything. So I may as well make the most, make sort of the most amount of money and most amount of impression that I can. That's very sensible, yeah. Put the legwork in. And it looks like it's paying off as well. You're getting more senior shifts. How is, how's manning the phones? Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's quite, obviously with national radio, you have quite a lot of different demographics. And I know we, as kind of sort of 20 to 30 year olds, usually live in our, in our own echo chamber we kind of follow people who agree with the beliefs that we follow in. And then obviously when something quite controversial happens, even if it's in the sports world, you do get quite a lot of calls from people with views who you wouldn't consider and that might offend you. So I think that that is kind of a bit of a struggle sometimes. But then at the same time, it's quite illuminating really, because like I say, you do just live in an echo chamber and you kind of, the aim is to get out of that so you can understand how other people feel. So that's kind of that's kind of been the biggest challenge, but also the kind of biggest learning curve for me has been realizing what someone who isn't like me thinks and why they think the way that they think. Yeah, sure, I know what you mean, and also being able to sort of um, not just to sort of accept that, but also to recognize which ones are sort of which opinions are better for radio and which ones maybe aren't yeah yeah definitely i mean each show will want different types of callers so some some will want you know like a very sort of a good kind of well thought out point and others might want a point which can kind of either get ridiculed by the presenters and make for like quite a funny little section or can you know do the numbers on socials and stuff like that and it is quite rewarding when you get when you kind of get a call you identify that they'll be really good. You put them through and then you see like the tweet go out of the call and it gets like a thousand favorites and stuff. Like it's quite a, it is quite a rewarding position. You hold quite a lot of power in terms of how the show is going to, the format is going to work and what, how it's going to feel. It's down to you about who you put on. So if you put a really rubbish caller on and it absolutely flops, then that's, you know, that's your fault. But then again, if you put on an absolute star caller and they're making a really valid point and or they say something which is like controversial and that encourages more people to call in, then yeah, that's, as you say, rewarding. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and you know, like, the the kind of one of the most fun aspects is kind of calling up the guests especially as like a massive sports fan it is amazing to like be able to speak to these people that you would never you'd never get any chance to speak to and especially if they're regular and then they kind of know your name and they kind of like ask you how you are and stuff it's like it isn't it is like a really quite well, quite rewarding feeling 
What thing have you learnt or that you would say is the main takeaway from your experience so far? I was speaking to one of my producers the other day and I kind of related it to like driving when you learn to drive. Everyone always says until you pass your test and actually drive, you don't really know how to drive. And that's kind of how I feel with radio. Like I learned the core skills and, you know, I understand what Burley is and what prefade is, but you don't actually really understand anything until you're in that environment. And I think I've been really lucky with the environment that I'm in. And I'm not just saying this, but everyone I work with is incredibly nice. And all the presenters are very, very experienced and very professional that like when things go wrong at uni, when things went wrong, we really, really panicked. And we really got scolded for it. But here it's like the the things that go wrong sometimes can be the funniest things. You know, if, if there's like a glitch, yeah. the presenter makes that's a joke off true. the back of it. That's a great moment. Like that can be, that can go on social media. That can be clipped up. That can be like a moment that people speak about for the rest of the week. So like, I've kind of just learned that the best radio shows come from not putting too much pressure on no mistakes and on kind of exact timings and exact words. Obviously you have to stick within the parameters, but you don't have to be as kind of stringent as we were at uni. Yeah. You don't have to be completely rigid. I guess that's just the magic of radio really. You know, yeah. Live the whole kind of anything can happen idea. Yeah, exactly. And, and like I said, that's another good thing about the callers is that I've not really been scolded for have, putting through a bad caller because a bad caller can turn into a great moment if the presenter deals with it well, which a lot of them do. So it, I, I've just felt a lot. I've felt a lot more easy actually, and I felt a lot less nervous in this job, even though the show might be listened to by like two million people than I did at uni when it was only listened to about twenty. Yeah, yeah, of course. I totally agree with your point about learning being thrown into the deep end and and doing it yourself yeah you have the sort of basic skills and knowledge but when you're actually doing it for an you know a national radio station or a regional radio station that's completely different isn't it yeah it's where sort of the i guess the stakes are just so much higher you know you've you've got to do it i think yeah exactly the stakes are so much higher but the obviously everyone is just so much more experienced that Mm. I, you don't often find kind of I mean maybe this is just me speaking from my experience and I'm sure even at the station and at other stations it does happen but from my experience you don't find the kind of intense pressure that I felt at uni I guess that thinking about that that might be because well to me that says that if us last lot all at uni if something went wrong none of us knew what to do because <laughs> we'd never done it before exactly um, whereas like you say, Kim, like the people that you're working with now are so experienced that, you know, there'll always be someone in the studio who's calm. Yeah. Exactly. And there, there are so many lines of defense, you know, like the, the, the tech op will be extremely experienced. He can dump something if it goes really wrong. The producer can do something very, very quickly. The presenter can quickly change their words if anything happens. There are so many kind of lines of defense, but we were all doing it at the same time and at the same level. And none of us, no one really took control. So we were all kind of just... Pa- panicking each other in kind of like a circle of panic <laughs> exactly right i think it's time we moved this episode on and had a little look at kim's cv Ooh. i'm gonna hand over now to mr goldberg in cv corner oh yes yeah. so kim has just managed to squeeze in and be the last cv scanned of 2020 
But most interestingly, I think there's a little bit of competition, I reckon, between yeah. a certain Kim and a certain Naya Dio, who we had on two episodes ago. Ooh. So instead of going through the whole leaderboard, I think, Kim, I think your main goal here is to beat Naya's, isn't it? <laughs> at 75 points. Who's at joint third place, I must add. So she's done very yeah. well. So, yeah, so every single week we uh, scan the CVs of our guests and um, the machine scores your CV against 50 different checks and it gives you a score out of 100. Oh, wow. Um, and so far, the highest one is Joe at 78 points. And at the bottom, we've got Ollie Smith in ninth place with 60 points. So that seems to be our our main range right now okay yeah. and uh, so i think i think realistically on that leaderboard is probably your aim it's probably like the top top quarter top third yeah i mean i a podium finish is what that's what everyone dreams of isn't it yeah yeah so how do you think kim your cv will go i have absolutely no idea i have no idea i've shown my cv to like both my parents all the supervisors at uni, even my mates, and everyone has a completely different opinion on whether it's good or bad. So I honestly have no idea. That's so true. It's such like a, it's an imprecise, is it an imprecise art? The expression? Yeah. An imperfect science. That's the one. Yeah. There you go. Have that one. <laughs> okay. Let's see how Kim got on, I think. Out of 100, Kim, you got you got 72, so you oh, just missed. Oh, 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 Absolutely gutted. Oh, from Nyers with 75 points. Just shy. Technically Three. first, though. Yes, it would be. And it would be a distinction as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It would. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is a great score. But it's a good score. Reach the top three, so <laughs> yeah, and you didn't beat Naya. It's a, look. It, it, it honestly it is quite hard to take, but I mean, <laughs> about th- about three minutes and ten seconds ago, I didn't know what the score meant. So I'm sure I'll live. <laughs> George, take us through uh, what what Kim got and why. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you, uh, it was recently updated. I noticed it was especially titled for Jobs Board in its name. You've gone onto two pages, I've noticed, so uh, that's fine under this. Uh, but the one thing it did pick up on is um, it thinks that you've breached the best practice maximum number of words. On oh. your CV, you've got 855, but it reckons that 800 is kind of a one not to go over on your CV. So you might want to look at uh, maybe chopping a couple of words out or, or other ways of uh, shortening your, your sentences. Good amount of font colours. Um, it reckons that you've got seven different fonts on your CV. Um, and But looking at it, I've yet to figure out how it decides this because I'd argue you don't have that many. I, I'm, I'm just going to have a look at it now. I, I would wager that I have a single font on the CV. Yeah, and we this is like an imperfect science, as, uh, as you both <laughs> said. Uh, like, I think it counts things as bold and italics as ah, two different fonts okay. where even though like you may be using calibri or any other uh fonts uh 
and you just bold it. I think that's what it has issue with. And how, uh, how many words is, is that ideal not to go over? 800 is what it reckons. Yeah. So it oh. reckons that you should have um, numbers wise, no more than 400 words per page okay. uh, but with a minimum of 350. So it's not it's quite a narrow margin, really. Um, so it's, prob- it's not too much to stress over, but it might be if you're looking looking for an excuse to cut down, then uh, then then you've just been given one. Certainly. Uh, Structure-wise, it can find your sections. Uh, it can find your key sections. Um, but for some reason, and uh, this also came up on Naya's CV, um, it's struggling to find your contact details. Don't know why, even though they are explicitly there. I think the one thing that we did kind of decide on Naya's was that they were actually put down in the footer and the CV scanning machinery struggles to actually read that if you if it's been placed into a footer so if you if you've got that then it might be worth you taking it out that is and, that is good advice i have put it in the footer but yeah that, i think the main issue is your contact details because if it going down this feedback sheet it's going you don't have this you don't have your phone and email you don't have a linkedin so which that i think if you did if it could find those bits of information i think you probably could have been up there with uh, Naya, or dare I say, yeah, <laughs> overtake it. Uh, okay, so George, where does that place Kim on the leaderboard? Uh, so yes, it means that Kim is joint fourth with Max and Olivia from Presspad. There seems to be a bit of clustering around. There's a joint third, and there's a tie. Well, oh, okay, three-way tie on fourth. So like that, there seems to be that seems to be like maybe where. Almost like a normal distribution. If I can... What does that mean, George? <laughs> find out. Find <laughs> yeah. out for New Year. <laughs> right before we go, uh, we wish Kim all the best of luck. Obviously, in his continuing shifts at Talk Sports. But thank you very much. In case that doesn't work out, we want to suggest uh, a couple of jobs that Kim might want to consider that don't have anything to do with journalism because that's obviously not what life's all about. Um, so, Kim, we're each going to suggest a job uh, to you, and we'd like you to pick one of these, the one that you would like to do the most. All right, Bryony, you go first. Okay, this role is based in Croydon, and it's an admin assistant role, but it's an admin assistant role with a twist, because you'll be working in a toy department, and it's called Soccer Stars, so I know that you're a football fan. So this particular role requires good football knowledge, which you'll be tested on. So you know, you need to be hot on this. Um, the main product that they sell is football related. And the actual role, though it says admin assistant, is much more sort of marketing and sort of media based because you're actually going to be looking after their toy brands and their social media pages. So Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, creating and managing newsletters, creating content and maximizing traffic to their website. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting role, sort of incorporating lots of different elements. Um, But the reason why I was particularly drawn for this, because I know that you're a footy fan and um, also social media elements. Brian, I've got a lot of time for it. It's a good start. That is a good start. It's it's a very good start. I'm a bit intimidated by that. Um, well, I also went down a football route because I also know that Kim likes football. And 
Uh, I don't know if you know this, Kim, but in 2022, the women's Euros are going to be hosted in England. Yeah. Um, and I've got a job here as an insight officer for the women's Euro legacy. So essentially what you'll be doing is collecting data and sort of conducting studies and analytical things, but with the ultimate aim of ensuring uh, that the women's Euros from all 10 host locations are, um, are reported on, on a local and national level. And you'll also, after the tournament is over, you'll be helping out with delivering the legacy program, which I think deals with, you know, investment in women's football at a grassroots level, et cetera, et cetera, like they do with the Olympics. Nice. I like the sound of that. So we're talking coordinating media teams for the women's 2022 World, uh, Euros. Exactly. You could, this could like help you put your stamp on England, England footballing legend. Brian, are you gone? I'm afraid. Oh. <laughs> George, what have you got? Oh, so I've gone with a non-sporting one because I thought I'd differentiate myself. Uh, Kim, I noticed on your skills section on your CV that you've got broadcast radio mixing down. So I was thinking mixing. Mm. So how do you fancy measuring and mixing ingredients for a well-known donut company as a production yes. team member? Yeah. Would, yes. would this donut company happen to share Kim's initials? It would, actually. Oh, oh absolutely, 110%, yes. I'm so glad you said that, Ollie. That, that completely went over my head. But, uh, <laughs> yes, George, uh, you'll be managing that the mean production line, control? assuring that the does donuts that are made to then uh, I'm the right specifications at the right time. I think it does, because, not going to lie, the description of the people that they want on this is they want absolutely everyone oh but God. also it says that you can bring your friends and family to work what like it, it literally says we encourage bringing your friends and family that's amazing share you, joy. you so send me a link i think kim i like to share the joy kim i think you need to get this job yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i shall do um but yes i think uh, uh that's what i was so maybe you can use a bit of your, your radio mixing expertise somehow in this. But yes, you'll be, I'm sure, making lots of great concoctions of uh, donuts for uh, exceeding mm. customer expectations, I'm sure. Well, I've got to say, I think Brian and I probably thought we had it in the bag when we chose a football job. But George has blown us out of the water with that. Saved the best till last. Yeah, absolutely. Which is surprising because whenever I've gone last after these two, they've they've played a complete blinder, and I've just had to kind of yeah. George hates following us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's no there's no way with an with an original glazed donut that you could lose that. <laughs> yeah, I think you got you should stick to your guns more often, George. Uh, maybe I should. Maybe I think that is uh, a motto of uh, bringing it back to journalism. Saying what Kim was saying earlier, talking yourself out of jobs. I think that's. Uh, 2021's mission statement for George Goldberg. What, stick to your guns? Or, yeah. or keep it original and glazed. <laughs> <laughs> or, sorry, I'm in the car. <laughs> Don't bring it up. 
No. <laughs> it's too soon. It's lemon on the. Sorry, George. <laughs> um, that was a reference to the previous episode. So go and listen to the beginning of the previous episode and come back. Yes, <laughs> and um, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jobsboard. Thank you so much to Kim for being our final guest of 2020. You've An made absolute the, pleasure. Thank you. You've so made much. the end of the year more memorable. You're very, very well. And Merry oh. Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it'll be a weird one, but it's definitely Christmas. Still the 25th of December. Yeah, it's Christmas somewhere. Um, and so all our listeners too have a really really nice Christmas in whatever way you're celebrating it whatever way you're able to celebrate it Um, and we will be back in the new year with some more job hunting advice for you and until then it's goodbye from me Ollie Hammett, goodbye from George Goldberg goodbye and it's goodbye from Bryony Smith goodbye